0: Well, we're looking and picking up our study in First Peter chapter 3. And for those of you who may not know, you see in the bulletin the title of today's sermon and the text we're picking up. Uh, it's called Holy Wives. And I just want to be clear that we're doing what we always do. We're just following the text of Scripture wherever it leads us. My wife did not make me mad this week, and I did not decide that I needed to preach a sermon on what it is to be a holy wife, okay? This is just moving along with the text. It's, we're following Peter's agenda here, which ultimately is God's agenda, and it's the word that he has for us today. I'm going to read the first seven verses of 1 Peter chapter 3 and then we'll consider the first six more carefully. 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 1. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Do not let your adornment be merely outward arranging the hair Wearing gold or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart. With the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves. Being submissive to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. This is God's inerrant, infallible, and inspired word. Marriage is... I started to say one of God's most precious gifts, but it may be, outside of salvation, the most wonderful gift that God has given humanity. And it's something that's rooted not in first century Christianity, it's not rooted in the teaching of the apostles, but this institution of marriage is rooted in creation itself. In the book of Genesis, you don't have to turn there, but even in chapter 2, verse 7, the Lord God formed man... Out of the dust of the ground. And breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. This is God's work of creation. The beginning of humanity. Verse 15 says. Then the Lord God took the man. And put him in the garden of Eden. To tend it and to keep it. So God creates a man. Then he gives him work to do. The Lord commanded the man. Saying of every tree of the garden. You may freely eat. But of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat for in the day you eat of it you shall surely die but then the lord god said it is not good now this is creation this is the very beginning god creates the sky the the sun the moon the stars the grass the animals the water everything you see and he says it is good he creates man and says it's very good but then he puts man in the garden gives him some work to do and says you know what something's not right It is not good. He says it is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper comparable to him. So verse 19, out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the air, to every beast of the field. That had to be a magnificent sight to have Adam. Adam, come over here and have a seat. I've got a job for you. And he parades all the animals past and whatever Adam calls them, that's its name. I mean, what a job. To have that many names just to be able to come to your mind to call these animals. But the verse continues that even after all these creations of God have passed by, it says, But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. So God decides he's going to take care of business. The Lord God caused the deep sleep to fall on Adam and he slept. He took one of his ribs, closed up the flesh in its place. The rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, now this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, the writer tells us, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. We're two chapters in to the whole of the Bible, and God invents marriage. Praise God for the gift of marriage. And there are so many benefits. I mean, simply the companionship that comes along with that, having someone to walk through life with you, someone to love, someone to care for. To look after and have look after you. To have somebody to check up on you when you're having those tough days. That companionship alone is gift enough. But then for God to create marriage in such a way that it reflects His very nature. That just as God is a tri-unity, a trinity. He is three yet He is one. He is Father, He is Son, He is Spirit, yet they are all co-equal and coexist as one God. So God has created man and He has created woman and the union which is formed in marriage, they become one flesh. Your marriage screams the glory of God. You may think my marriage screams something. But when we live the way that God has called us to live, it declares the very glory of God. God has this perfect plan that we looked to briefly at the beginning of our service in Ephesians chapter 5. Really, the summary is in verse 33 there. He says, Let each one of you husbands in particular love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she respect her husband. So it's all about love and respect. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, respect your husbands. And if you take any issue, any problem in your marriage and boil it down to the root of it, you know what it comes down to? Either the husband is not really loving his wife well, or the wife isn't showing the husband the respect that God has called her to do. And so as perfect and beautiful and great as marriage is in God's creation, it, just like everything else, has been broken by sin. Back there in Genesis again, once Eve had eaten the fruit and Adam had given in to her desire and ate the fruit as well. God begins to explain what it is, this curse that's going to be on the earth. And in chapter 3, I just want to read you one verse. He says to the wife, he says this to the woman, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Children aren't the curse. The the pain is the curse. But notice this. He says, your desire shall be for your husband. And the thrust of that statement is that your desire shall be to have control over your husband. Any of you wives feel any desire to control your husband? Just go ahead and nod, all of you. That's actually part of the curse. That's an effect of sin and it continues he says and he shall rule over you so the wives are going to have the desire to control the husband and the husband's going to have the desire to try to subdue his wife and put her in her place and these are the results of the fall these are the results of sin in the world so as we are christians and those of us who are married and those of you who are not yet married listen up because you need this before you ever get there how are we supposed to live How are Christians to conduct conduct ourselves in our marriages? So this Sunday and next, we're going to look at that. Today, I'm going to address the wives. Husbands, you can take a little nap. I'll call on you when I have something to say to you. Next week, wives, bring your husbands back and I'll rake him over the coals. Okay? So is that a good, that's a good deal. Okay. But Peter's context, we've been reading chapter 3 naturally follows the thought of chapter 2. He says this in verse 12, having your conduct honorable among Gentiles. That's the theme that Peter's writing on is having honorable conduct among unbelievers so that when they bring an accusation against us, they will see our good works and glorify God. That through our conduct, our good deeds, lost people would be led to Christ. And God can do that even in our marriages So to the wives, he says this in verse 1. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands. Likewise, what does that mean? Like who? Like what? In what way? Well, he's been talking a lot about submission up to this point. He said in verse 13 through 17 that as Christians, we are to submit ourselves to the authority that is over us, specifically that of human government. In verse 18, he instructed servants to be submissive to their masters. 19 and 20, he's calling on Christians to be submissive to God in suffering. And then he gives us that perfect example at the end of chapter two of Christ who submitted himself to the will of the father, even in the. Working out of salvation. So we're talking about submission. So like who? Like Jesus. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands. Now, in each verse in this passage, just about, it's uh, necessary to say what the verse doesn't mean before we say what it does mean. Because these verses have been misused and So I'd like to say this. Submission is not, and I feel like we have to say this up front, it is not an excuse for abuse. Okay, let me just say this. Ladies, listen up. Your husband hits you, you call the police. Okay, you don't say, well, I'm supposed to submit to my husband and I'm just going to let him do what he needs to do. No, if your husband hits you, you call the police and then you call me. Or call somebody in this church and we will walk with you through that situation. The submission is not an excuse for a man to abuse his wife. And I just want to say this too: husbands, wake up from your nap and listen for a second. The verse does not say, husbands, make sure your wife submits to you. If there's a verse in the whole Bible that you can ignore, it's this one because it's not written to you. It does not say, husbands, tell your wives to be submissive or teach your wives to be submissive. It says, wives, be submissive to your own husband's. You can resume your nap now. Submission also is not a statement of inferiority. Just because God has given instructions to wives to submit to their husbands, that does not mean that you are less than your husband. We are all equal in the sight of God. Even as it is rooted in creation, we are all created in the image of God. As husbands and as wives, we are made in the same image. That image is broken by sin, sure. But we hold equal value in the sight of God as husbands and wives. So this call to submission is not a statement of inferiority. In fact, Galatians 3, Paul tells us that we are all one in Christ. Now most people go to Galatians 3 to tell you that you don't have to listen to this submissive submission business because he says in Christ there's no more Jew nor Gentile there's no more slave or free there's no more male or female because you're all one in Christ. And that's true. Praise God that the walls have been torn down. There's no distinction in in race. There's no distinction in uh, status in society. There's no distinction in gender when it comes to God. We all equally have the benefit and the blessing of being able to come before God with boldness. A man has no more right to come to God than a woman. He has no more access to God than a woman. We are all equal and on level ground in the sight of God in Christ. Praise God. We are one in Christ. However, while we are one in Christ, while we are equal in the function of of the home and in the function of this institution that God has put into place, he has given us specific roles. Husband and wives are equal. They're of same value, equal in the sight of God. But God has given us specific jobs, specific functions in how we carry out our lives in the home. And Peter tells us, along with Paul and the rest of Scripture, that for the wife... Your calling is to be submissive. Now this is a reflection, I've said this already, not just of first century Christianity, but this is a reflection of God himself. Because in, even in the Godhead, Christ said, I did not come to do my own will, but I came to do the will of him who sent me. Jesus submitted himself to the headship of the Father. Now, did that make Jesus any less than the Father? If you say yes, that's heresy. We need to have a talk. Because Jesus is co-equal with God. He is God in the flesh. So just as Jesus is equal with God in his function, in his role as our Savior, he submitted himself to the headship of the of the father. So your submission is a reflection of God. It's ultimately a reflection of your own level of submissiveness to God. Your willingness to submit to the leadership of the husband in the home reflects your willingness to submit to God. Paul said this, he said in Ephesians 5, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord if you're unwilling to submit in a godly way to the headship of the husband in the home then you are refusing to submit to the lordship of God in your life submission is as one writer said it voluntary selflessness voluntary selflessness Selflessness is not exclusive to marriage, is it? All Christians are called to live selfless lives among other Christians. And even among unbelievers. And so the role of the wife in the home is that voluntary selflessness in which she exercises her will to allow her husband to lead. And to use the gifts that God has given him. I'm just going to say this. When we come to a verse like this, we come to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1, this really does give us an opportunity to show whether we really believe the Bible or not. Because there are things in the Bible that the rest of the world agrees with, right? Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. And the rest of the world says, yes, absolutely, you should do that, Christians. That's right for you to do. Jesus says, give to the poor. Feed the hungry. And the world says, yes, absolutely. Do what Jesus says. Obey that Bible of yours. But then you read, wives, be submissive to your own husbands. And you might as well wear a clown suit to Walmart. You get funnier looks, quoting this verse, than you would in the clown suit. And so you really have to ask yourself, do I... Believe what God has said. Do I trust God to know what is best for me? Am I willing to submit to the lordship of Christ. To the extent that I obey him. In being submissive. To my husband. Notice the one to whom you are to be submissive. This is obvious. But I want to point it out. He says. He says. Be submissive. To your own husband's. Now, on one hand, I just want to say that means that a woman is not to be submissive to all men. (laughs) It's to your husband. But it is to your own husband. That knucklehead that sits beside you on Sunday mornings at church. The guy who can't even remember to pick his own underwear up and put it in the laundry basket. Who can't find the milk in the refrigerator. Peter says, wives, be submissive. To your own husbands. And Paul adds. As to the Lord. Now he does share a potential result. Of this kind of faithful submission. He says be submissive to your own husbands. That even if some do not obey the word. They without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. This. Phrase that Peter uses, not obey the word. Uh, Some do not obey the word. I think ultimately that comes down to they're not believing the gospel. They're not Christians. But I would would apply this even beyond that to Christians who aren't perfectly living for the Lord. Wives, do your husbands 24-7 always obey God perfectly? No. Even if you have a good husband, like my wife does, your husband does not perfectly obey God at all times. Now what's the natural response when we want to correct when you want to correct something in your husband? What do you want to do? What's that instinct? Pester, nag, I'm going to tell him how I feel, point out what's going on. That's the natural response. But what does Peter say? He says that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be one By the conduct of their wives, when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear, when you have when your husband sees that he has a wife that fears God, that loves the Lord, that conducts herself honorably, who shows respect to him even when he doesn't deserve it. What kind of effect is that going to have on a man? It's going to go a long way according to Peter in leading him to follow the Lord. Now, again, let me say a couple of things that I don't want you to take away from this. It's not an excuse to marry an unbeliever. You unmarried ladies, listen up. This is not an excuse to marry an unbeliever. Paul is clear that you are not to be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Light has no fellowship with darkness. If you're a Christian and you love the Lord, you cannot have a good marriage with someone who does not. In the context that Peter's writing, he's writing to to women who were not Christians and they married someone who wasn't a Christian and then they became a Christian and now they're stuck living with this unbeliever. And Peter says, conduct yourselves in an honorable way so that you can hopefully lead them to the Lord. But don't bank on that when you say I do. You marry someone who loves the Lord. And let me say this too, for those of you who are married and maybe your husband, either he isn't a Christian or he isn't walking with the Lord as he should. This is not an excuse to refrain from sharing the gospel. He says to conduct yourselves in a way so that even without a word, he may come to know the Lord. But that doesn't mean you should never say a word. (laughs) Hopefully, the conduct of your life will lead to the point that those conversations happen naturally. Where a husband will say, why do you respect me the way that you do when I treat you the way I do? Why do you care for me the way you do when I do this or do that? And then you have your opportunity to speak up and tell them about Jesus. This is a call to live a holy life. As a testimony to the relationship that you have with God. And then that will hopefully open up the opportunities to lead your husband to the Lord. Or to lead him in a closer walk with the Lord. He doesn't just talk about submission as he's instructing these wives how to live holy lives. He says in verse 3, Do not let your adornment be merely outward. Arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. And that means just try to be as ugly as possible, right? Like just do everything you can to not be attractive. You know, just go ahead and slip your bracelet off, take your earrings out, sc- scruff your hair, um, you know, drop some mustard on your dress, whatever. Just do everything you can to make yourself unattractive. No, that's not what Peter's saying. Some have taken it that way. They, you know, you've seen them, you know, they make their own clothes and they put the hair up in the little things. And, and that's where they go is they go to First Peter. And they say, well, we don't want our, our beauty to be outward no do you um do any of your husbands you can listen up for a second you husbands do your wives uh do that live shopping thing online where like they have the video and the ladies trying stuff on and showing these things like we only got two left you have to buy it right now if you want it any of husbands relate you know what i'm talking about sorry kelby you're the only one who online <laughs> shops okay yeah they they you know they they prey on the impulse buyers right That's actually, it's okay for your wife to buy new clothes, okay? Whether she does it online or not, it's okay for your wife to have nice things. In fact, I would encourage you to budget for it, okay? Make a plan to cover that expense in your home. So it's okay for you to shop. It's okay for you to have nice things and to make yourself look pretty. But the idea is that this adornment, this appearance would not be merely outward, the attention that you give to yourself should not be merely outward. Verse 4, he says, Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart. I'm going to ask you a question. It's going to hurt you, it's going to cut you deep, okay? How does the amount of time that you spend on your outward appearance, ladies, compare to the amount of time that you spend conditioning your heart before God? How much time do you spend on your hair, your makeup, your jewelry, your outfit compared to how much time you spend in the Bible and in prayer and walking with the Lord? I know that hurts, but you need to hear it. Your walk with the Lord, that inward person is what is most important because Peter says this is incorruptible beauty. Now, none of you have reached this point. You're all beautiful, but you all know that eventually beauty fades, right? No matter how much time and effort you put into your appearance, eventually stuff starts to sag a little, right? Doesn't hold up the way it used to. You get the wrinkles and the creases and the makeup layer gets a little thicker, right? With time. Again, none of you are there yet, but you know it's coming. But Peter says that the work that you do on the heart, the work that you spend on the inward person, that kind of beauty is incorruptible beauty. There is nothing more beautiful than a woman who loves and walks with the Lord. It shows through. He gets specific. He says the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Now again, I feel like I have to say what this doesn't mean. Okay? It doesn't mean you sit in the corner and never say anything. Listen, some of y'all are loud. Some of you have great senses of humor. Some of you are a little inappropriate. You're bold. you got a fiery spirit. Does Peter say that's wrong? No. Embrace that, okay? If you're a strong woman, embrace that. But this gentleness or meekness, as it's often translated, that it doesn't mean weakness, it just means that you take that strength, you take that fire, you take that boldness about you, and it's under control. You have control over your, your spirit, your attitude. When he says quiet, it doesn't mean you can't ever say anything. It's, it's just a, a state of peace. Now listen, this is contrary to what you see in the world. This is contrary, really, to the feminist movement as a whole, right? It's all about getting control. It's all about letting that attitude fly. Just take out whoever's in your path to get where you need to be. You no, know, Peter, by the Holy Spirit, says, take that strength, take that boldness, take that, that fire, whatever it is you have, And by the help of the Holy Spirit, you control it. You have control over your spirit, not let your spirit have control over you. You be a woman who's at peace. And he says that this kind of spirit is precious. No, he actually says it's very precious. In the sight of God. Very precious in the sight of God. That is motivation enough to pursue this kind of life. Well, do we have any examples? Well, we sure do. Verse 5 says, For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves. We can flip through the Old Testament Scriptures and the New. Think of women like Esther, Ruth, Um, Even in the New Testament, you have women like Lydia. So many others that we could see. And many of you know people, you know someone, an older Christian, who demonstrates this kind of life that you can look to as, as an example. And I'd encourage you to try to get to the point where you can be an example. We need more examples of this kind of life. But he, Peter points out one example specifically, verse 6. He says, As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Again, I've got to tell you what this doesn't mean. You don't have to call your husband Lord. <laughs> yes, Lord, would you like your jelly on your biscuit or on the side? You know, whatever. You think I'm joking, but I, I know women. Who do this who take this so seriously they feel the need to refer to their husband as lord that's just wrong that's not what we're supposed to do in the context of of genesis i believe it was chapter 18 where uh, sarah did this this wasn't her walking around you know butter or jelly lord you know that wasn't what she was doing this was actually what she said under her breath When Abraham had said something to her, she walks away and she she says this under her breath. You know, usually what you say under your breath is really what you're thinking, right? What you say about your husband under your breath might be different than what you say to his face. But Sarah had the kind of attitude that even when she spoke of him under her breath, she had a respect for him. She spoke well of her husband, even when he wasn't listening. I won't go any further with application there. He says, whose daughters you are, if you do good, you're not afraid with any terror. You don't have to be concerned about things in the world. You can be a woman of peace. You don't have to have fear if you fear God. If you, if you fear God and you obey Him, you can be at peace with everything else in your home and in the world. You can live this kind of life. Let me just make application here. Ask some questions and then we'll, we'll be done. What does your attitude towards your husband reveal about your relationship with God? If, If the way you treat your husband reflected how close your walk with the Lord was, how is your walk with the Lord? How does the attention that you give to your outward appearance compare the time that you spend on the condition of your heart Then I have to ask this question, because it clearly leads here. Have you been born again? Are you a Christian at all? You see, if you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit within you to teach you the truth of God's Word. And to help you to live what the Bible says. You see, Jesus was submissive to the Father. To the extent that He died on the cross for your sins. He purchased your salvation with His own blood. You see, we all have a natural spirit of rebellion, don't we? Men, you can listen up too. We all like to kick against authority and those structures that God has put in our lives. But Jesus, knowing what kind of sinners we would be, still loved us. Submitted to the Father's will. And in the Garden of Uh, Gethsemane, what did he pray? He said, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And he submitted to the will of the Father and laid down his own life for you. So that when you would turn from your sins and put your faith in Jesus, your sins could be forgiven. You would be granted eternal life and he would give you a new heart and a new spirit. One that is progressively sanctified, purified and made more like Jesus until the day you see him face to face. So have you been born again? And if you have, how's your walk with the Lord? Are you walking with him and is it showing in the way you live in your marriage? Let's stand We'll have a time of prayer and then a closing hymn. Father, we thank you for your word. God, this is contrary to the, the world system around us. This is contrary to the nature of our spirits, Lord. Our own hearts kick against this because of our sinfulness. But I pray that you would Bend us into submission to you. And then, Lord, work that out even in our homes. Lord, I pray that if there is a woman who is experiencing abuse, that these passages have been misused to inflict pain and fear in her life, Lord, I pray that she would get help immediately. That she would lean on the help of this church to walk with her through that. Lord, I pray for us all that you would give us humble hearts, obedient to your word. And we thank you for Jesus who died for us. Who submitted himself, even to the death of the cross, that we might be saved.